if you've got a Bible, you might want to open it up in, in Luke chapter 12. Um, verse uh, 22, Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, or what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. I wonder, I wonder how many of us here this morning, just put your hands up if you would say that you worry too much. Who here would admit that they worry too much? Quite a few. Now, I would, I would say I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm that kind of person myself. Um, but for those of you who, um, who, who didn't put, put your hand up, you happy-go-lucky folk, um, really, I'm really happy for you. Um, we, we probably need you because you help us to kind of get through difficult situations. Um, but I'd say that also you probably need us as well in your lives because, you know, when there's a problem that comes along, um, by the time you spot it, we've usually been thinking about it for quite a while. And, um, and when things actually do go wrong, when there's a crisis, we're great because we've got nothing to worry about anymore. So we cheer up a little bit and can be quite helpful. But perhaps the question really isn't sort of who as individuals worries too much. Perhaps a better question to ask is, collectively, as, as a society, is there too much worry and anxiety in the world? And I think there probably is. Uh, right now in the UK, we've got lots to worry about, haven't we? We've got Brexit, deal or no deal. We've got um, the international politics at the moment just seem like, you know, pretty dramatic, really, don't they? And um, this sort of high-tech, non-stop, media-driven world that we live in isn't exactly helping with our anxiety either, is it? Studies suggest that the, um, the amount of choice that we have as consumers is giving us um, decision anxiety because we want to you know, pick the perfect, perfect thing. And apparently these um, smartphones that we have, they're, they're giving us a bit of um, anxiety as well because they, they give us this pressure to always constantly be available. Um, you, know, you remember like, you used to be able to just send a text message um, on your phone then put it in your pocket, but now as soon as you send a text message, this little thing appears, those little dots there. And you can see that the person is thinking about something and you're just waiting for what they're going to write. And there's just no, no downtime, is there? And that's an example of the world that we're living in. But of course, this is a serious thing. The number of people seeking professional counselling and therapies is increasing all the time. Apparently, mental illness, which obviously encompasses things like depression and anxiety, is the number one cause of sickness and absence from work in our country. And, you know, perhaps you're here this morning and you're in the midst of that. And perhaps you're considering getting some, some help of some sort. And if that's where you're at, then, you know, as I'm talking about worry this morning, I hope you, you don't feel any pressure from me to sort of fix anything. And if you're considering getting help, um, that's a really courageous thing to do. And we're, we're totally with you in that. But the unfortunate thing is that your situation is not uncommon. Two years ago, the University of Cambridge suggested that more than 8 million people in the UK suffer from some sort of anxiety disorder, with um, women, and particularly people under 35, especially affected. Um, a year ago, um, in the New York Times, there was an article called An Anxious Nation, where it, says, it said, anxiety is starting to seem like a sociological condition a shared cultural experience that feeds on alarmist CNN graphics and metastasizes through social media. 
The Guardian reported, um, perhaps this is a bit sensationalist, but they said, we live in an epidemic of anxiety. In 1980, 4% of Americans suffered a mental disorder associated with anxiety. Today, half do. The trends in Britain are similar. A third of Britons, they thought, will, they anticipate will experience anxiety disorder at some stage in their life, with an explosion of reported anxiety among teenagers and young adults. Anxiety, depression, self-harm, attention deficit disorder, and profound eating problems afflict our youth as never before. Now, I know that these are journalists and, you know, they've got papers to sell and so perhaps they're sometimes prone to a little bit of exaggeration, but I suspect there's enough truth in there to conclude that worry and anxiety are growing issues and will be affecting many people in this room and our whole country. And evidently, we're not doing that good a job at properly addressing this issue in our lives. A lot of the time, we, we, we choose to just get by with coping strategies, don't we? We, we try distraction. So, you know, we'll, we'll binge watch um, DVD box sets on the telly, um, or we might drink, or we might comfort eat, or we might take some substance that will just take our mind off of it for a little while. We might try avoidance. We might, you know, steer clear of the people and the situations that make us feel worried and anxious. Or we might try safety-seeking. You know, for example, if we're worried about our health, we'll constantly be on Google researching the symptoms to try and reassure ourselves that everything's okay. And as personally, I'll, you know, I'll concede I'm a bit of a worrier. I use all of those coping strategies from time to time. You know, I, if I'm worried about something, I'll distract myself by putting a DVD on with abs and we'll open a bottle of wine. And I, and I, you know, I put off difficult circumstances, sorry, difficult conversations. I safety seek, I, I often ask other people's opinions and, and seek reassurance. I do all of these kind of things to manage my own worry. And to be clear, I, I don't think those things are necessarily unhelpful all the time. They can be very helpful. But the thing that I've noticed, and maybe ultimately this is why anxiety is, is on the increase, is that ultimately these coping mechanisms don't actually tackle the root of the problem, do they? They're addressing a symptom. And the question that I've been asking myself of late is, is it possible to, to, to not just like cope and manage worry, is it possible to actually break free from it? Is it actually possible to live a life that's, that's liberated from it in a meaningful way? And um, I've been thinking about it a lot recently because um, I think I mentioned before, Abby and I, we're in this sort of process of we're, we're looking to move house at the moment. And it's actually a little, it's quite a complicated scenario. We're buying, selling our house, buying a new one. Um, my in-laws, Abby's parents are selling their house and we're all planning to kind of like move in together and build an extension and live like the Waltons or something. And there's quite a lot to worry about in that situation. <laughs> There's, uh, you know, planning, builders, moving, money, mortgage. It's a, it's a worrier's perfect storm. Um, but one of the things that I've been consciously engaging with these last few months is, but is there a way of doing this where I don't just cope with my worry, but I actually, like, handle it? I actually deal with it properly? And I'm asking that partly for myself, but I've also been asking that question for us as a church. How do we do this? What solutions, as Christians, can we offer to the world when it comes to the problems of worry and anxiety? You know, on Sundays, we regularly talk, don't we, about, about how we're called to live distinctive lives and, 
And, and, and we believe that there is a God who is for us, who wants the best for us, who wants to give us life to the full. And if we claim to carry this like, message of hope for the world, but then we're living lives where we're just as consumed as anxiety and fear and worry as everybody else, what message are we communicating to the world? What have we got to offer this worried world? So I'm going to read... Um, some words from Jesus that I read, a, I read a few of them just a moment ago from Luke chapter 12. And, and there's a similar account in Matthew 6, but we're going to go for this one today. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, or what you'll wear, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens, that's what the birds, they do not sow or reap they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon, this you know, grand king in Israel's history, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Do not worry about it because for the pagan world, that's like you know, everybody else, they, they worry after these things. And your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide for yourself purses that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near or no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, just as I read that, the first thing that might spring to your mind, certainly it was the first thing that sprung to my mind, was that this passage seems to primarily be about, Jesus is talking about money, isn't he? Not so much worry. I think that's probably fair to say the context of this, if you read the bit before and after Jesus, he's kind of talking about money. Um, but I think this passage is really relevant to the issue of worry because, well, firstly, because... Um, Money and worry often go hand in hand, don't they? You know, if you look up any list of like the top things that we worry about, it always comes top or, you know, second in all of the surveys. And also, I think that although it seems to be talking specifically about money, there's, there's, there's transferable principles here that we can apply to whatever it is that we get stressed about. But ultimately, the reason that I want to focus on this passage today is because personally, I think that when push comes to shove, it's about something that's more significant than, than, than worry, and it's about something that's more precious than money, which um, is the thing that we're hopefully it's going to emerge as we go through the talk, I said enigmatically. So I've got three things that I want to draw out of this passage. Don't worry, dig deeper, and think bigger. Don't worry. The first thing that you notice um, that Jesus says, he says, if I tell you, do not worry about your life. Um, he doesn't sort of give advice here. He's, it's an instruction. Don't worry. And, I, you know, and 
I wonder, like, how, how realistic is it to say that? To say, do not worry about anything? Because to me, worry feels like a pretty involuntary reaction to my circumstances. Do you know what I mean? Like every, so, for example, every parent, they, they worry about their kids, don't they? Or at the very least, they pretend to worry about their kids. So how literal is Jesus being here? Um, it's, it's, it's perhaps helpful to highlight that the, that the word that was sort of written in the original Greek manuscript that's been translated to us as worry is, it'll come up on the screens, is that, whatever that is. And if you read different translations of the Bible, some translations say, like the NIV translation translates it as worry. Others one, other ones like the ESV, for example, use the word anxious. And actually, if you look you know, up the definition of that Greek word in the dictionary and you look at some of the other places that it's used in the Bible, it seems to be talking about a state of mind that's, that's moving beyond just everyday concerns of life and moving more towards something that we might describe as, as being a little bit anxious. Um, as I was preparing this talk, I didn't want to be totally informed, uninformed about the topic of anxiety, so I had a, had a bit of a conversation with a, a friend from, who's part of this church called Sam Malins, um, who many of you will know, or Dr. Sam Malins, I should say. He's a clinical psychologist, and he's got you know, considerable experience in mental health. And, and as he was explaining it to me, he said that as a professional, when they're sort of differentiating between just, you know, worries and something that might be more moving towards clinical anxiety, there'll be a couple of things that they're looking for. Um, one is if it's, if it's chronic, if it sort of persists over a long period of time, day in, day out. And then secondly, if it's beginning to have an impact or disrupt our everyday life. If, for example, like if we're losing sleep, if it's a persistent feeling that's affecting our behavior, that's when a professional would begin to see a clinical or a medical problem. And so this is just my opinion, but it, it seems to me that, that Jesus, he's sort of talking more about that kind of situation than just your everyday concerns. He's not saying never worry about anything, but he is saying if it gets to that point where it's not going away, where it's disrupting your life, then don't, don't allow yourself to get into that situation. Now, of course, if you've ever been in a situation where you are anxious about something, perhaps you're in that situation now, um, perhaps one reason why we might question how helpful it is for Jesus to say this is because when you're really worried about something, the one thing that isn't that helpful is somebody saying, don't worry, isn't it? Because you're like, now I'm worried about that. But as we read on, we see that Jesus, he doesn't just say, don't worry. He immediately justifies that instruction by explaining why we don't need to worry. He says, don't worry because you don't need to. He reminds us that we have a father in heaven who made the universe. And he explains, if your father in heaven has got enough time to, to feed the birds and look after them, if he's got enough time to look after details like what colors the flowers are gonna be and things like that, he's certainly got enough time to look out for you because you're so much more valuable to him than those things. Jesus explains, your father knows that you need these things. So he assures us, in light of that, don't worry, because your father has got it covered. I remember um, when Abby and I were preparing to get married, um, we got a bit worried, I did anyway, about the, the guest list. Um, because there was, this, there was this bunch of um, people connected to my family 
And I wasn't really that close to them, but I sort of felt obliged to invite them. Do you know that kind of situation? There was about 10 of them, and we, we couldn't really afford to invite them. And I was like, oh, no, what do we do here? This is awkward. And, and I remember I was stressed about it until I spoke to my dad. And my dad said, look, you need to stop worrying about whether you can afford it, the money, and you need to stop worrying about you know, who's going to be offended. And you just need to ask yourself the question, what do you actually want here? Do you want them at your wedding or not? And then to make it easier, he said, look, if you want them there, I'll pay for them to go. And if you don't want them there, I'll ring them up and explain why they can't come. And I remember putting the phone down and this, this, this burden had just been lifted. You know, can you imagine how I felt? Because my father had explained, I'm ready to pay and I'm ready to speak on your behalf. So do not worry. And of course, in a much more profound and powerful way, this is what Jesus says to us. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to pay for you and I'm ready to speak on your behalf. On the cross, when Jesus died for us, he paid for every sin, for every debt that we could ever accumulate in our life. He paid for it all. And then in Romans 8, it says that in his resurrection, he's now in heaven interceding for us, speaking on our behalf. He's willing to pay. He's willing to speak for us. And so he can say with complete assurance, do not worry. In writing about this um, Luke passage, Andy Croft of Soul Survivor, he, he said, Jesus isn't saying that our aim is to have a carefree life. Rather, he's saying we should stop worrying about the things that God has already said that he will take care of. And I think the ironic thing is that for most of us who've been following Jesus for a while, we know this is true. We've heard this kind of thing before, but yet when push comes to shove, it's hard to shake worry off in practice, isn't it? Somehow it's hard to fully embrace. So how can we do that? Well, I think one thing that this passage encourages us to do, as I said before, is, is dig deeper. And when I say dig deeper, um, what I'm not saying here is, you know, you just need to dig in, grit your teeth when you're worried and just push on through. That's not what this is saying. What, what, I, what I am saying is that if you read what Jesus says, what he does is he seems to dig in to try and figure out what is actually at the heart of this problem underneath the symptoms of the worry. Um, if, you, if you read this whole chapter, what you notice is that actually that section that I read out is actually serving as an explanation for a parable that Jesus had told um, immediately before. And we're just going to spend a couple of minutes looking at that. Jesus said, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And this is the point where you think, well, what is this guy's problem? Jesus says he's a, he's a rich man um, and he's just had an abundant harvest. So, you know, he's got nothing to worry about, but he's immediately worrying, oh, no, great. What am I going to do with all this excess crops now? That's his problem. And uh, so he says, I know what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I build, I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So he's already rich. 
He's already got more than he needs. He's still worried, but he concludes, if I build a bigger barn, then that will be, it'll be done. I'll stop, I'll stop worrying then. And of course, as we read that, we can see that barn is not going to fix it, is it? Because as soon as he builds the barn, he's going to start thinking about what he needs next. And the reason that we can see that is because this little sort of story, we see this being played out in, in the lives of people around us. We probably recognize it to some degree in our own lives, don't we? You know, with, when it comes to money and stuff, we want the next thing. And then as soon as we get it, we want the next thing. And we want the next thing. And on it goes. And so God says to the man in the parable, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. If you ask me, the man in the parable, he didn't really have a worry problem. And he didn't really have a money problem. He had plenty of money. He had a heart problem. And that's why when we read on through the next chapter, Jesus digs down to that same conclusion. For where your treasure is, he says a few verses later, there your heart will be also. The guy's problem was that, that money and stuff and wealth had, had captured his heart. And whatever we treasure at most in our heart, it will preoccupy us. We'll, we'll worry about it, won't we? Whatever we whatever our heart holds, holds dearest, it becomes our fascination. And so what I'm saying is that worry isn't necessarily the big problem that we need to fix in life. It's the symptom of something that lies underneath, an issue of the heart. And so, and so I'd say that worry is it's more like a, a big X marks the spot on the ground. When we're, when we're worried about something, it's an invitation to dig down and try and figure out what's at the heart of this. And as I said, in this passage, Jesus is talking about money and wealth and material things because, because in, our, in, in, in reality, those are the things that, 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 that sort of like money is the number one rival for the affection of our heart in life. But for, for others of us, it might be other things. It might be our work and our career. You know, whatever is going on in work, we're always worried about it. When, when work is going well, um, we're, we're worried about where our promotion is coming from. And when work is going badly, we're worried about if we're going to get the sack. And when we're really busy at work, we're worried about having too much to do. And when we haven't got enough work to do, we're worried about that as well. Um, and it gets to the point where, you know, eventually you have to start asking, maybe my problem isn't that I'm a worrier, and maybe my problem isn't my job. The problem is the place that my career has got in my heart. Or perhaps for others of us, it might be relationships, you know, similar kind of thing. When we're single, we're worried about, you know, finding the right person. And then when we're in a relationship, we're worried about, oh, where's this going? Do I, you know, should I move on to somebody else? Again, eventually we have to ask ourselves, perhaps it's not I'm a worrier, and perhaps it's not the relationship with the person. It's, it's the place that relationships in general is, is occupying in my heart. And it could be, you know, other things too. It might be our health. It might be our, our family, our kids. It might be a goal in life that we've got. And of course, all of these things are absolutely important. And we should, we should care about them. But when they become a preoccupation that's always there, 
and it's beginning to disrupt our everyday life and, and we're losing perspective because of it, we have to, I think, to begin to see that as a big X marks the spot on the ground and an invitation to dig deeper and to try and figure out what's going on at the heart of this because it's a sign that something is occupying a space in our heart where it, where it doesn't belong. And when we dig down deep enough, that's the point where Jesus says, okay, you've dug deeper, now start to think bigger. Jesus said, do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Do not worry about it because the pagan world runs after such things and, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom Seek his kingdom, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Jesus' advice here is to set our heart on something that's bigger than ourselves, the kingdom of God. Now, if you're um, new here, um, or or for whatever reason, you might not have heard that phrase before, the kingdom of God. Um, We talk about that a lot um, here on Sundays, but it might be that you're not familiar with it. And we could talk about it all day, but just very simply um, to give you an explanation. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God here, he's not talking about like a sort of a shiny kingdom full of glittering castles and rainbows and things. He's talking about in this context... Um, the kingdom of God is, is wherever God's will is done. Wherever um, and whenever um, God's agenda is worked out. And so um, on a personal level, seeking the, kingdom of our, see, seeking the kingdom of God in our lives is, is seeking to live according to God's will, to put his priorities as our priorities, to, you know, to sort of pursue his vision for our lives living not in our own strength and our own power, but in his, pursuing his ideals, his priorities. That's what it is to seek first the kingdom of God. And so the thing that belongs um, at the center of our heart is, is, is that dream, is that vision of life. But to do that, we need to make a choice. We need to make a choice to actively recenter our lives, not around all those things, around money or worries or blah, 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 but to center our lives around his ideals and to ask him, what's, what's my priority in this? And that's why I think this passage ultimately is not about worry and it's not about money, it's about the kingdom of God. Jesus is calling us towards more than just the notion of like living worry-free. He's got something bigger for us. He's beckoning us into this place and this life where, where worry is literally no longer relevant because we're pursuing a vision and a calling that's bigger than our present circumstances. And one thing that was really fascinating when I spoke to Sam, the clinical psychologist, was he talked about this um, relatively recent sort of emerging philosophy of mental health therapy um, through treatments like, um, he talked about something called acceptance and commitment therapy. He said basically the principle of that is that the patient is encouraged not to sort of focus on trying to fix the thing that they're anxious about, but to instead recenter their lives around 
the type of person that they want to be, the, the type of life that they want to have, to sort of fix their eyes on that, and they, and they sort of lead them through therapy that helps them to focus on that. And he said, it's, it's so exciting because they're seeing some incredibly positive results from this sort of type of therapy. And as he explained it to me, I was like, so that basically sounds the same as what Jesus said when Jesus said, stop worrying about all the stuff, seek first my kingdom, and then all these other things will be given to you as well. It's like, that's basically what Jesus said, isn't it? And Sam's like, I know, exactly. And um, I know we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus obviously is God. He knows what he's talking about. But I just think it's amazing, isn't it, that there's something that he said 2,000 years ago. You know, here we are now at the sort of leading edge of where our science has got to. We're just beginning to discover that. And... That is something that I think is exciting for us as Christians because I think sometimes we can forget that through Jesus' teaching, we do actually have the answers to the questions that the world is, is longing for. We do actually have access to them. And I think we underestimate the power of that, the, the potential for our lives to impact and influence the lives of those around us. I just got one, you know, small example of how that had a really profound effect on my life. This thing that I'm talking about. I'm, I think I've mentioned before that when I was um, sort of exploring faith, God used some friends at university to really reach out to me. And um, one of the moments that affected me most profoundly was 1999. We were, I remember a friend and I, we were studying late one evening, the night before a really hard exam, and we were kind of, we had, it was too hard, we didn't know what we were on about, and we were stressed, and we are doing these past papers, and um, it didn't look good, and then it got to about 6.45, and to my amazement, my friend just got up, put his coat on, and headed off out the door to this place called Trent Vineyard, <laughs> that he talked about. And I was like, that's a crazy decision. We've just got like a few hours left. Every minute counts. What are you doing? And so I was beavering away. And then, of course, you know, getting more and more stressed. And then about, you know, two and a half, three hours later, he comes back. And, and he just had this peace about him. And I remember realizing in that moment that, that he had something in his life that I didn't. And a couple of weeks ago, I, I was chatting to him and I asked him if he remembered that. Uh, and of course, he, he didn't, because to him, it was just an everyday moment of following Jesus. But for me, it was one of the moments that God used to change the course of my life. So I think, as Christians, we may not realize it, but when we handle worry well, the gospel is preached to anyone who happens to be watching. And so fast-forwarding to my sort of present circumstances, I realise that many of you in the room have got a lot more to worry about, but this whole thing with this building project and the house and everything, I realise I don't want these next few months to be characterised by worry. I want it to be characterised by my pursuit of the kingdom of God. And not just, not just for my sake, so that worry would go away, but, but for God's sake, for his glory and also for the benefit of, of anyone who happens to be watching. I want my kids to see that, you know, this is not the number one priority of my life. I want the builder to see that. Anybody who sees it, to see that actually I'm not worried because I'm seeking God's kingdom first. And I'm sure that's easier said than done. But that's the challenge. 
that's the challenge that I want to embrace. And that's the choice that we have. We could, we could live a life where we, where we sort of choose to pay lip service to God, where we say, I trust in you, but then we live lives that are just as anxious and worried as everybody else in the world. Or we could choose to not worry, to dig deeper, to think bigger, to pursue the kingdom and change the world around us. Thank you.